0: Today on Better
1: News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. When weak people advance the cause of the gospel faithfully, God's power is made perfect. Hear that if you are feeling weak. When you're feeling weak as a Christian, weak in ministry, weak as a husband, weak as a wife, weak as a parent... Your weakness, according to Paul, your feeling of inadequacy, your feeling of being limited, is a platform to display the power of God.
0: Wouldn't it be odd if someone made their platform about something they were weak and incapable in? This would be the opposite of anything that's successful in the world's mindset. What are some of your greatest weaknesses? Would you be willing to brag about those weaknesses to the world at large? As preposterous as this sounds, Pastor Ricky explains today that this was the mindset that Paul had when approaching ministry because he knew his tendency of being proud in his abilities. Let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 12, as he begins his message Strength in Weakness.
1: I am super excited because we are starting a five week series on our vision as a church. Now, In some ways, this seems like a crazy time for our church to go through a vision series. Our church itself is in a good season, but also a season of growing pains uh, across many of our ministries. In some areas, we're scrambling for leaders. In other areas, we've had some heavy counseling cases that we've walked with people through. Uh, Maybe personally for you, it doesn't feel like a season where you're like, yeah, I can't wait to be part of a vision series at church. And I think that is by the Lord's design because I think divinely the Lord wants to insert a particular encouragement to us as a church and to you as a brother or sister in Christ today. So let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12, and this is God's word I must go on boasting. Though there is nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but... On my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Though I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. I am strong. This is God's word. Well, the main idea that we're gonna be covering today is pretty straightforward. And it is that the gospel advances, Christian ministry advances in our lives and in our church and in our world through God's strength in our weakness. That the normative pattern for gospel advance and authentic Christian ministry is strength in weakness. Now coming into this message, I have a burden for our church uh, as individuals and a burden for us kind of corporately together. My burden for us as individuals is that we as Christians not buy into the world's math of what makes us strong. That we would not buy into the world's definitions of strength and power but instead buy into the Bible's vision of strength and power and that we as a church would not be a church that buys into these definitions, that we begin to define ourselves by by the numbers we have or the budget we have or more ministry numbers or whatever, but rather define ourselves and our strength the way that God would. So we're going to look briefly at 2 Corinthians 12 and then we're going to back up and look at some lessons from it. So let's dive into the text. We see first, there's a danger that's the backdrop to this text, that Paul's writing this text because there is a danger. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12 is part of a letter, a series of letters written to a very troubled church in many dangers, but one of the dangers this church faced was buying in to the world's measures of power and strength. Now, because they bought into the world's measures of power and strength, they decided that Paul, the apostle, wasn't really a very good apostle at all. He wasn't a very good spiritual authority. He wasn't a very good example because he was poor, not wealthy, because he came into town as a servant to serve people, not came into town as a powerful teacher with lots of people around to serve him. Paul didn't kind of peddle these spiritual secrets that, ooh, if you get into the inner circle, he'll give you a spiritual secret. No, he just said, hey, this is the gospel. Everybody knows it. I got the same message everybody else does. He didn't use flowery rhetoric or hype or things like that. He just spoke the gospel plainly. And so the Corinthian church thought, well, he must not be very strong. He must not be very powerful. Why would we listen to this guy? But Paul shares his experience with them to do two things. One, to show them that by the world's definitions of power and spiritual kind of insight, he has more than anyone else. He talks about himself in the third person where he says, a man, that man is him. And he's not just being weird. He's saying, listen, I don't want to boast in myself. I could tell you about myself. This is what's happened to me. I went to heaven. I don't know if it was in the body. I don't know if it was a spiritual vision. I don't know what it was. I heard secrets that nobody knows. I can't even tell anybody. Like he's, he's going through this list of things that the church was like, well, these are what make a great, powerful, spiritual authority, spiritual leader. And he's like, I have all of those, but I will choose not to boast in those. In fact, you guys have never heard about this, because there's a danger that if I shared this with you, then you'd be like, "Oh Paul, man, he's amazing. I don't, I don't want you to cling to the world's definitions of power and strength. There's a cultural pull that he's pushing back on. but there's also an internal pull that he feels. He references this, because where he says that he pleads with the Lord pleads with the Lord to take this away. To keep him from becoming conceited, that's Paul's perspective, to keep me from becoming conceited, a thorn was given to me in the flesh. Now, Paul is being open about the fact that he faces a temptation to become conceited, that after this kind of spiritual experience and all of this stuff, he could then be tempted to think of himself highly, like, oh, I am the one that has had all of this, this amazing spiritual experience. I have more insight than anyone And he's saying, no, I'm glad that I have a thorn because it pulls me away from my internal temptation to exalt myself. Now, in our world today, we face both of these temptations. There's a cultural push on us to exalt ourselves, and there's an internal pull on us to exalt ourselves. We value experiences, and so spiritual experiences, spiritual secrets. So if somebody claims, oh, I have the secret, the spiritual secret, we go out and buy that book. Or I had this experience, I went to heaven and came back and dogs were there, and it's true dog, you know, and you're just like, oh, what is it, about?" because we still buy into these things. We value wealth and we'll listen to and read books by wealthy people. We value power and listen to those with power. Even in our churches, we begin to value numbers and hype and buildings and budgets. You know, in my extended family, we've got a lot of people that don't know Jesus. And so I remember one time years ago when I was first a pastor here, I could tell they were trying I mean they were trying to find something to talk to me about related to my work, like to try to take an interest in it. And so they, they came up with like what they could, which was, So, uh how's the church going? I'm like, Oh, it's going, you know, going well. Shared a little bit. And they're like, Yeah, so how many how many people do you have in the church? And I said, Well, we have a hundred something people. And and the look on their face was like Oh, oh yeah, like, like it was a look of compassion, you know, and, and pity. Like, uh, well, you know, h- keep trying, you know, hang in there. It was kind of the look on their face. And recently, uh, earlier this year, I ran into the relative again. And so again, they were trying to take an interest in what's going on. Because I don't, you know, lead with lots of church updates. I'm trying to connect with them to their experience. But they asked, well, so how many people are going to the church now? And I said, oh, well, I don't, you know, 400-something people. And they went, oh, (laughs) like, very nice. And it was funny, in that moment, I could feel two things. I could feel in my heart there's a temptation to go, yeah, that's right. And I also could feel the world's definition of success is like the number of people you have, that's the thing that shows your strength and power, right? We are still tempted. We still face this temptation, both as a church and even personally, right? If things are going well in our career or business or whatever, it's like, yeah, I can't wait to share that. I'll just go. You're just waiting for somebody to ask you, how's it going? Oh, it's going, you know. We still do this. There is a danger there, but there is also a design of the Lord that he's put in place in Paul's life that we will learn from. Now, we need to ask, okay, well, what's the design of this thorn? There are two designs in it. First, this thorn, it says, was a messenger of Satan to harass me. So Satan gave the thorn to harass Paul, to hurt Paul, to slow down the advance of the gospel. But Paul is implying that there is the giver, Satan, who intends it to harass, and there's another giver over Satan that is intending to humble Paul and keep him from becoming conceited. Somebody with a good intention, a good gift, in a sense, that he's giving in the form of this thorn. Now, who's that giver? Well, it could only be God. That's why Paul then goes to the Lord and says, can you please remove this? I know you gave this, but I would rather not have it. It Has the return window expired on this particular gift of a thorn? And the Lord says, no, you're gonna have it. So what is the design then of the Lord? We see that in verse nine. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now this is an extraordinary statement. This turns everything in the world upside down. He says that the place my power is made perfect is in a sense fully displayed is not in what the world would assume is the place it's fully displayed. I mean, think about this. Imagine you have a producer of some national television show, 60 Minutes, or something like that, and they say, listen, I've got an hour. I've pitched my, you know, my producers on getting an hour to highlight a Christian and kind of show the Christian faith in 21st century America. What could we show? Whose life could we show that would highlight the power of God? And if you're like me, you're thinking, okay, well, what's our current biggest celebrity? You know, there's some decades where the." as high as we get is like the C list, you know? You're like, he's kind of a celebrity at one point, you know? Um, other times it's like, yeah, we have one of the Chris's now apparently, you know, or whatever, and, and you're thinking like, okay, I'm gonna find the most famous or most wealthy or most powerful or the Nobel winning, you know, physicist who, who is a Christian. I'm gonna put that person on 60 minutes and that'll display most perfectly the power of God. And Paul says no, he says my Power is made perfect in weakness, says the Lord. Now, the weakness here, that is Paul's thorn, is unknown exactly what it was. It was likely, very likely, a physical condition. A couple things that have been conjectured is that it would be a severe, painful eye problem. It could be a recurrent malaria, which sounds horrible. It could be persistent migraines. We don't know. But we know that it was a weakness. J.I. Packer says the weakness here refers to inadequacy, an area where you're inadequate to do what you think you should do or what needs to be done. And then he references many other types of weaknesses, like hardships and persecutions and calamities. So times where there was long travel and little food, where he was beaten and opposed, where his reputation was shot, where he was shipwrecked, right? These are the places that Paul says his weakness makes perfect the power of God, fully displays the power of God. These are times where he did not have enough, that he was inadequate, that his resources were limited, that his power was limited, but the result was that it only highlighted God's limitless power and God's limitless strength. So for Paul, this is how he thought. When his body ached, when he looked in his meager coin purse and saw it was lacking, when his feet were hurting from walking from town to town, when he was followed by an unpopular reputation, when he ministered in that weakness, God's power was fully displayed. Church, hear this. When weak people advance the cause of the gospel faithfully, God's power is made perfect. Hear that if you are feeling weak. When you're feeling weak as a Christian, weak in ministry, weak as a husband, weak as a wife, weak as a parent, your weakness, according to Paul, your feeling of inadequacy, your feeling of being limited, is a platform to display the power of God. That's what the Lord is saying to Paul. So as a result, verse nine, Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Paul goes from, okay, I'm, I'm okay with weaknesses. That's one step. He goes further, he says, I'm gonna boast in my weaknesses. This, in a sense, is gonna be my new pastoral resume. What qualifies me to speak to you today? Well, uh, in the first place, I am in constant physical pain. I am not the best speaker. I get kicked out of a lot of cities. I don't have a lot of money. I used to be loved among my people, now I'm hated. That's my pastoral resume. He says those are the very things that he will choose to highlight and boast in so that the power of Christ would rest upon him. He does that so that something would happen, so that in those places where he feels empty, he would be filled with the power of the Lord. There is something about boasting and weakness that makes room for the power of Christ. And think about it, when we are boasting in our weakness, what are we doing but declaring our insufficiency, declaring our need for help? And when the Lord sees that humility, when we declare our insufficiency, we have no choice but to lean fully on the sufficiency of Jesus. We lean on the sufficiency of Jesus. Kent Hughes, the commentator, says this, rest upon me, is the vocabulary of the tabernacle from the time when God pitched his tent with his people. It is also the language used of Jesus when the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, word became flesh and pitched his tent among us. So 2 Corinthians twelve nine, Paul employs the same awesome image to teach that the all-powerful Christ pitches his tent with his people in their weaknesses. Right, so that area where you think, I don't want anyone to see this area, it's its weak. There's a physical affliction, it's a hurt, it's an inadequacy, that is the place where the Lord comes, in a sense, dwells right there, bringing his power into our lives, and when we When we fully lean on that power, we discover that in contrast to us lacking wisdom, he never lacks wisdom, he has all wisdom. In contrast to us being limited, he is not limited. In contrast to us being weak, he is always strong. In contrast to us being insufficient, he is more than enough. But we only discover that when we arrive at the end of ourselves. H.B. Charles Jr. says, You never discover that God is all you need until God is all you have. In weakness, the Lord's strength meets us. Now, second part, verse 10. For the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Paul says he is content. In the hardest areas of his life, the areas that highlight his inadequacy the most, he is content. Now, he prays for the Lord. He asks the Lord to remove those areas. The Lord chooses not to. He shows him the purpose. And and so Paul says, okay, I am now content. Imagine being content with the things that Paul has gone through. It says there's one line in one of his letters where he just throws out, and I was stoned. And it doesn't mean drugs. He means literally with bricks, like brick-sized rocks. His body was so polarized beyond recognition that they thought he was dead. And then the scripture says he got up and walked back into the city, right? Like it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. And he says right there in that moment, the Lord's power met me. And I'm content being stoned and starved and shipwrecked. I'm gonna read this, this summary declaration. The end declaration is this, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That's the summary of this whole section. You are not strong when you feel strong. You are strong when you feel weak and lean on the strength of God fully. Kent Hughes says this, the spiritual math is never my weakness plus his strength equals my power. That is my default math. My default math is, listen, I'm not too strong, but I'm decently strong. And his power plus my strength means I'm pretty strong after all. No, it's never that according to the scriptures. Rather, it is my weakness plus his strength equals his power. It's Paul's weakness that he boasts in because it forces him to lean fully on the sufficiency of God, on the strength of God, and it is in that place that God's power comes to him and fully shines forth. This principle will turn our Christianity upside down, guys, or perhaps right side up. I think that's probably the better way to say it. It turns us right side up. The Christian life is a progressive emptying of ourselves a progressive emptying of our self-focus and our estimation of our own abilities. If you're there today, rejoice. That is the Lord's kindness to you. Hodge says this, commentator on the verse, "When, when really weak in ourselves and conscious of that weakness, we are in a state suited to the manifestation of the power of God. When emptied of ourselves, we are filled with God. Those who think they can change their own hearts, atone for their own sins, subdue the power of evil in their own souls or in the souls of others who feel able to sustain themselves under affliction, God leaves to their own resources, which is a terrifying statement. But when they feel and acknowledge their weakness, he communicates to them divine strength. One of the things I want you to see today is that this is the normative pattern of the Christian life. Sometimes we think of weakness as a detour, like God's taken me here, but weakness, uh, I've veered off for a pit stop, but I'll get back on the main road where I'm, I'm relatively healthy, financially stable, good relationships, everything's going fine. I just am on a detour right now. No, the Lord says the detour is the path. That is the way that the Lord advances the gospel in our hearts, in our church, in our world. This is the arc of Paul's whole life. Back up and see this. He's saying this as a summary of his life. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Think about his trajectory for a minute. Paul begins, he enters the scriptures as a respected religious leader, a rising star in Israel. He probably has money. His family's probably well off. He is a Roman citizen. And he goes from there to being shunned, hated, attacked, poor, giving up every privilege, having his reputation shattered. And yet, he plants dozens of churches. He brings the good news to whole regions of the world. He embraces his chains in Rome as an opportunity to preach the gospel in the heart of the Roman Empire. He, if you read his letters kind of chronologically, he grows ever more joyful, ever more grateful to God. He grows ever lower in his own estimation and he grows ever more in awe of who the Lord is and what he's done for him.
0: God, all
1: oh my
0: soul. Thanks for joining us today for Better News Radio. Pastor Ricky has been sharing some thoughts on the important components that should be a part of any church's vision. These things are like the meat and potatoes of what a church stands on, and incorporating these elements help a church grow and thrive. Like with anything that's growing, you need the proper nutrients to foster the ability to become stronger. Some of these nutrients are the willingness to know and share the gospel with others. This might seem intimidating to some, but be assured that no matter what your knowledge or experience is, as a Christian you are equipped to tell others about Jesus. If you're listening and are unsure what it means to be a Christian, that's okay. We're glad that you joined us today, and we hope that you'll continue to seek out a greater understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. On our website, betternewsradio.com, you'll find a variety of past teachings from Pastor Ricky. In addition to that, you can look at the welcome video from Pastor Ricky that explains more about the good news of Jesus Christ. All that and more is on our website. Again, that's betternewsradio.com. As we wrap up our time today, we want you to know that if you have any questions about this teaching or what it means to be a Christian, you can give us a call at 915-562-7100. That's 915-562-7100. We hope that you'll tune in again to hear more from the Vision Series right here on Better News Radio.